0: Well, out of everything going on, election season, the biggest news of this week, I think, in my opinion, and you, and you all tell me if, if you agree, is the uh, thirsty Josh Allen tattoo. Mm-hmm.
1: It's exceptionally horny. Yeah, it is. Talking proud.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a view of his his posterior is is the main focal point of
2: this. <laughs> it's the view of him walking away. <laughs> walking <laughs> yeah, away is <laughs> what it is.
0: Presumably, after throwing a touchdown, I. I at least that's my guess. Uh, scoring, at um, least, and then, but, but, <laughs> well, he does seem excited. <laughs> yes, because a little bit. If you look a little bit to the right, there's a little bit of a bulge, and I don't know if that's his towel
1: that he has. It's Not know, a little t- bit.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's not a little bit of a bulge. No. Well, I don't know. Yeah, listen, in case you have not uh, been on Twitter on Elon Musk's Twitter, yeah, and, and seen this cursed <laughs> image, uh, some some sap out there. It, Appears to be a male. I don't know for sure, though. Uh, but whatever. Whatever human being got this tattoo of Josh Allen.
0: Also in a crop top jersey. In a crop yeah. top jersey. In a yeah. pinup
1: pose. Yeah. All caked up yeah. and, you know, packing some serious heat.
0: Now, on our, on our Worst of episode, we talked about the Josh Allen thirst.
1: Yes. Jen correctly identified that... Men, women, everybody want to fuck Josh Allen. They are very, extremely horny for Josh Allen. And we kind of laughed, and we said, oh, yeah, okay. And then we see this tattoo, and, and mm-hmm. Jen or you were validated. You right. are yeah, you are well, 100% that, right. Not
0: only that, but we talked about how much men would want, it, like at halftime, win a contest to, you know. Yeah,
1: well, we know the rest. There
0: is all that. And then uh, our friend Buffalo Eats posted a, a picture saying as, as much. Right. Right? it was.
3: Yeah, it's, I mean that was a it was it was a thirsty week for yeah, Josh, th- Josh Allen fans. So I, I just hope that uh, you know they. Uh, I think Gray Havens was the tattoo shop that did that tattoo. Yeah. That they add that to their book. You can just it's in you the can book. Just, <laughs> <you can> order <laughs> that off the menu.
2: They've already <laughs> printed <laughs> out a, a thousand stencils. A whole series of action poses. <laughs> of Josh Allen action poses on and off the field. Right. <laughs> it's actually a, f- a flip book if you. Right, yeah. The, if you look at the, it long the, enough, I think yeah. I get
3: the Josh Allen Vitruvian Man. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> I think they, they they outsourced the art for that tattoo to legendary queer artist Mickey Harmon, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. who has been known to wear outfits like that. All well. right. Yes, All right. we love Mickey. Um,
1: yeah, no, it's 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 very horny. So, mm-hmm. best you know what that person has a tattoo that will last them a lifetime and perhaps question their sexuality or not. And you know what, good for them. I, I'm happy that on this journey of discovery. Josh Allen and his massive butt cheeks on your forearm, and and it's in such a pose where you
0: could you could easily cover it, like put a barrel around him if you ever milkshake ducks, (laughs) right? Yeah, you know, or maybe put a mustache on him and make him into Diamond Jim, right? That's that's,
3: but yeah, milkshake duck, Ken Bone, whatever internet tech term (laughs) you want to use.
1: Well, I suppose that's enough horniness for the day. Welcome back to the square. We have with us one of our very good friends, special guest, Jeff Kelly from Investigative Post. Jeff, thanks for joining us.
2: It's my pleasure as always.
1: And it's uh, it's Ree, Diamond Jim, Yep. and Snake
2: in the house. Sweatpants Snake. Sweatpants Snake,
1: yes. He's wearing jeans today. Don't don't believe his lies, listener. He's wearing jeans. Mm -hmm. He's wearing real pants. But uh, yeah, we are about that time of year. We're going to dive into the campaign finance, the end of the campaign, the down-to-the-wire finance, Jim.
3: Yeah, because this episode we're recording on Sunday before the election, but uh, it won't come out till after the election. So uh, we figured, well, we'd take a look at the finances, um, you know, the 11-day, 32-day pre-generals um, and some of the 24-hour filing or 48-hour notices that they have to file um, and talk about the finance because... That's going to be relevant and it'll be something interesting to listen to Thursday, um, maybe.
2: Hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> Hope, hopefully, it's the desperate hour, is yeah. what it is. Yes. The last couple of days, before mm-hmm. the last week before uh, election day, where right. you see money pouring in, trading hands, and being spent. Right. This is this is when
3: they're working paycheck to paycheck, and you know they're they're pawning off all their goods so that they can
1: pay their final bills. Yeah no. Right. Let's get the housekeeping stuff out of the way really quick. Two things. One, the Christmas party. Come to it. Buy your tickets. Friday, December 2nd at uh, Days Park uh, Tavern on Allen. We'll have TV Mountain playing. We'll have India Walton and uh, Rusty Weaver in the house, your favorite geographer. We're going to have some surprises, too. Yeah. We'll have some surprises. We're going to record a live show. We're going to have drinks. We're going to have food. Uh, all for the low, low cost of $30? thirty dollars. Thirty dollars. Hey, that's that's not that's walking around money, okay? Yeah. You'd pay you'd pay three times that for the, the time that you're gonna have at our Christmas uh party. So please buy your tickets, get those uh while they're available. And, and the thirty dollars the proceeds go to, to Weedy in the West Side Bazaar
3: to yeah. help those vendors who uh you know need a bridge before the new West Side Bazaar opens after the fire there.
0: Here come see Snakey Claws.
1: Yep. Yes. So help out the community, help out Weedy and have a good time. Also, our Patreon. The Square Podcast on Patreon. $4 or $5 a month, uh, or however much you want to give us, really. We
0: need it until Carl Palladino gives us money.
1: Yes. it's. Listen, you got to combat the dark forces out there because, you know, they're... We're susceptible to Mm -hmm. that. We are. We are very susceptible to bad people's money and as you'll see <laughs> politicians are as well right yeah. we will take it so you have to give your money to help us you know help right. fight for our soul right. we're, we're,
3: we're gonna start our own pack the 1792 society
1: <laughs> ink. <It's> ink ink <laughs> so if you like what you listen to support us give us beer money and you know we can have great guests like jeff to continue on the show
2: Anyway, the PBS donation I command command top dollar
1: for my (laughs) appearances. This doesn't come cheap to these fellows.
0: Nope.
1: So, yes, the donation hour is is passed. Let's get down to the news. Let's start with this uh, foreclosure story. I I know we touched on it briefly last week, but we have the man in the house here. Jeff, the city of Buffalo, foreclosures.
2: Yeah, so in 2019, uh, right around budget time, the city, it, it, it was revealed that the city had decided to change the way that they handled the uh, foreclosure auction. They wanted to do it in such a way that they could keep the leftover money. And what that entailed was them taking title to the property right before the auction, after they foreclosed and right before the auction, they take the, the, uh, the title to the property. And then if they sell it, then they take what's due them in taxes, or fees, etc., the reason for the foreclosure, and then they have what's left over, what's called the surplus, and that money should be available to other lien holders, banks, utilities, whoever, you know, the former homeowner owed money to, and what's left after that should go to the former homeowner, and there used to be a system where it went, the money, that surplus went to the county controller, and you could file a claim in county court, you needed a lawyer, but you could get your money. Attorneys who handled this told me it took four or five months from the time you filed a claim to when you got your check for what was left over. Um, but the city didn't want the money to go to the county and eventually to the state. They wanted to keep it. So they, uh, they made this change. And the first auction, the last auction they did, uh, under this new policy, they ended up with $3.6 million in surplus. And they haven't. that was three years ago. And they haven't returned any of that money. To, uh, to former property owners. That's $3.6 million left over. That's after the city has taken what was owed to them. So that's a lot of other people's money that they're just sitting on. And they will not codify the policy. They've hardly written down the policy, like how you go about doing this. They've put in these two weird conditions, which exist nowhere in state law. You have to prove either that if you're a claimant, if you know you've lost your house, and you want to get that money, you have to prove either that the city made some sort of error uh, in foreclosing on your property and then selling it at auction, which, by the way, if that's the case, they should give you the property back. You you, You could go to court and say, this has all been a big mistake. You should give me back my property and damages. The other condition is the really weird one. They say you have to prove that you have to prove financial hardship. You have to prove that you need that money, and that the reason your property went into foreclosure was because you just couldn't afford to pay the taxes. And maybe that was an idea. That idea was to try to punish the handful of you know big out-of-state slumlords that have the money to pay and just don't. Um, but in effect, it's going to punish a lot more small um, homeowners, you know, poor homeowners, people who legitimately can't afford it, right. you know, um, and don't know how to go through the whole process, which is pretty opaque to begin with. Right, because
3: if you, can't, if you couldn't afford to pay on your house and that's why it was foreclosed on your property, are you going to be able to suddenly afford all the lawyer's fees that you need to, to fight the city and they're reticent to, to turn this money back over?
2: Yeah, and, and you know, and the whole issue is, is th- this, that it sets up the city to keep this money, and it seems as if that is the intention. That's right. the end goal. Uh, certainly in 2019, when they made this policy, they budgeted, they put into their budget plan for that year that they were going to make a lot of millions of dollars as a result of this policy change. They knew they were going to get to keep money. And maybe that explains their reluctance to create a clear and simple process uh, to to codify how they're going to do outreach mm-hmm. to people who are owed money. They're not doing a lot. It doesn't seem like it. Or if they are, they won't tell us how they do it. They won't demonstrate it. So it's it's, a, it's it seems like a bad policy or a badly executed one. Has City
1: Hall had any kind of response to this? Like, anybody- No.
2: <laughs> no, they Shocker. haven't. Shocker. So, so I, I talked Surprise. to a lawyer who's based in Rochester. His name is John Pincus. And he has since June filed, the last time I talked to him, 18 claims uh, from people who, who say, you know, you know, we want our share of the money back. We lost our property. And none of these people are big slum slumlords. A uh, couple of them are out-of-state homeowners who inherited houses, never got noticed that they were behind on taxes, never got noticed that they were behind on user fees or what have you, never even got noticed that, that, their, that their house was going to foreclosure auction and certainly never got noticed that they might be owed money as a result. And he hasn't heard a word from City Hall, not even an acknowledgement that we received this claim, let alone like yes or no, or we need more paperwork or anything like that. So it's, um, you know, it's kind of weird. I
1: I mean, weird is one word for it. Uh, Just blatant thievery is another. I mean, this is kind of outrageous to me that... The city of Buffalo
2: is... They budgeted for it. They, they, they knew. Yeah, and let me tell you, in, two, in 2019, when, uh, when this policy change uh, was made, they didn't tell anybody about it. I heard about it because at a council meeting, someone in the comptroller's office, who's no longer there, kind of took me aside and said, have you seen this? You should have a look at this. And I said, whoa, what is this? So I started calling around to the Western New York Law Center, to mm-hmm. other sort of attorneys who handle... Um, uh, Real estate stuff and and people, low income uh, people from low income strata, and said, Hey, do you know about this? And they said, No, (laughs) what? And immediately mounted, like that afternoon, we're mounting a pressure campaign on the Brown administration to tell them, What are you doing? What's the plan? Why are you doing this? What's the advantage? How are you going to make sure? It doesn't screw people out of the money they're owed, which is, you know, most people in America, most people's wealth, if they have any, is contained within the real estate that they own. Mm-hmm. Partic- and the poorer you are, the more likely that is the case. If you have any real estate equity at all, that's your wealth. And so, uh, and the kind of, I, I did, ended up not writing a story about it because it seemed as if that summer of 2019, that campaign had succeeded, that the Brown administration had said, well, well, you know, okay, you know, you found us out. We're, yeah, we're going to work. And the council was upset too. We're going to, we're going to consult with you all and we're going to come up with a policy. And, and they didn't really, I mean, or if they did, they didn't really share it. And the council members to their credit have been pushing a little bit, at least to try to get them to codify it, not just to write down a policy, but to, write down something that they can co- convert into a law so it can't be changed overnight you know but the whole question is do you really want the city which has a financial interest in in saying no to your claim to be the one to be the arbiter of those claims
3: right i mean that that's why it was stuff was going to the county controller's office pre- previously right yeah but that
2: was part of it i mean yeah. it, in fact long time ago it used right. to work sort of the way it do, does now under the new policy and the city Actually changed it to the way it ran then, because they didn 't want to take title to all these properties. The properties were worthless, lots of people were losing their homes to tax foreclosure because the city was in everyone was in a financial tailspin, and the city was getting stuck with all these useless properties that they couldn 't sell and couldn 't or wouldn 't maintain um, but now, since you know property in the last decade, property values have gone up, these are actually valuable commodities these lots these buildings people will pay for them maybe not a lot but more than more than is owed to the city right so uh so they cha- had a change of heart and decided we they wanted in on that action so 3.6 million is a lot of stamps <laughs> a, it is it's a lo- <laughs> it is, it's a lot of money and and it's and 3.6 million that's just about where like Anytime you're over a million dollars, the the Brown administration is going to be like, okay, that helps us plug a hole. That yeah. might, that's enough, maybe, to keep us from having to spend from our, from our reserves mm-hmm. to balance the budget at the end of the year.
1: We'll follow that story. I mean, shame on us for not following it previously, but also it, it just feels like it's one of those things that was wildly under the radar the past couple of years yeah
2: and, it was happening in the dark it, it was happening on the quiet and and then because of covid the whole in rem uh process got sort of suspended so the question got sort of pushed forward
1: well moving on here jim jamestown
2: yeah they
1: i feel like they're way ahead of us they right now they're way ahead of pretty much everybody in new york state
3: uh it's, Jamestown is it's interesting in Chautauqua County cuz Jamestown is this little democratic enclave alongside uh city of Dunkirk in in a very red
1: county. It's like the Austin Texas. You know, it's, yeah, it's like keep Jamestown weird. Yeah, keep Jamestown it's weird, weird. It's weird in different ways. Yeah. They
2: <laughs> they had, they had uh, his, uh an openly gay council president, Greg yeah. Rabb you yeah. know.
0: And they had uh, like like you mentioned a, a pride parade this year. Yeah. I think the only one in Chautauqua County.
3: Yep. Yeah, yeah, um, and so they uh, they are looking at uh, investigating, maybe doing uh, municipal broadband.
0: Well, there's a very good reason for this because they have municipal power there, right? And as as we know from our Erie County study uh, back in, when Pat Burke was on the county ledge, that it's just a hop, skip, and a jump to add fiber. Right. We already got the infrastructure there. It's just running the 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 new glass, the fiber,
3: right? And and kind of like when we talked with with State Senator Sean Ryan, that you know back when like the phone uh, telecommunications came in and they were like well we, we want to put you know phone lines in Syracuse was this example because mm-hmm. well, then the state said well then you have to put lines all the way to like Lake George and every place right. in between well because we've allowed the broadband companies basically free reign they don't have to do that so a lot of these rural counties like Chautauqua County um, they don't have strong fiber throughout this the city and you know as everybody I think knows like the we well, basically this high speed Internet is a necessity nowadays. You know, it's it's not just something that you use for shopping, but you know, for your medical visits, for your kids, right. school, uh, paying taxes. I mean, hell, the IRS to at get, one point wanted to do everything online to schedule covid vaccines. Right. Everything, you know. Um, so Jamestown, you know, it's it's an it's an impoverished uh, city um looking at you know hey maybe we can do some municipal broadband and we'll actually have good coverage in our area and and it hopefully it would, it would be a, a launching pad for the rest of at least southern Chautauqua county
0: mm-hmm. and i'm sure they're looking at it as a as, as a way to bring you know younger people in um, more tech savvy industry that right. type of thing yeah i mean and they've got jcc there
3: yeah and and uh, and, and you and you have uh the university of pittsburgh medical uh campus there um you know so that helps with a lot of that with those services because they are the hub for like northern pennsylvania like outside of erie more like the warren pennsylvania Mm -hmm. area uh, and southern chautauqua um they they are the the locus there so you know i think it's it's smart um i don't think they're going to look at this as a way to like raise revenue um it looks like they're trying to run it probably revenue neutral um, but, you know, it will it also will be, you know, more union jobs. Like, right. you know, that was one of the pushbacks that uh, the county had when they looked at municipal broadband was CWA was like, well, we already have these county, these union jobs. We'll lose union jobs. My point was, do you think the county's going to start start hiring non-union workers? <laughs> <laughs> right. like it, you're not going to be in CWA. I understand if you're CWA leadership, you might be upset because they right. might not be CWA members, but it's going to be union jobs. Sure. Um, and so, you know, I think it's, I think it's interesting. I think it's something to watch because if it works well in Jamestown, you know, I think, I think Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, Albany, obviously New York, the, the bigger cities in New York will be slow to adopt this because they're going to get more pushback from the major telecoms. Um, but you'll see, I think you might see the smaller cities, especially in like the Southern tier start picking up and doing something similar. And why not? Right. I mean, you know, why not? Like they're not they're not going to be addressed by the big telecoms. It's going to be, it's going to be very funny to me that Nick Langworthy in like the reddest district in all of like the United States will have a municipal broadband across this County, right. Across this Fun,
2: district, w- this funded with federal dollars, right <laughs> across, across this district.
1: Uh, well, we'll keep an eye on that, but Jim, we got a, we're back to football. Here. Right. Yep. All right. The, the pro, the pro stuff, the Josh Allen hanging dong. Okay. Whatever. Put that aside. We're talking high school football right. again, baby. Okay. Yep. We're not right. the
0: sports podcast. The high school sports. We're the high school sports. We're the high school
1: sports podcast. Right. That's right. Bennett
3: High. So we Revenge talked. Revenge tour. Right. We talked about Bennett last week, and I mentioned I was like, "Look, you know, the one thing that Section Six did do is they didn't say you're out of the playoffs," and I was like, "I expect that Bennett will win Section Six, um, you know, and repeat as Section Six champions." I don't know. Last year they made it all the way to the state title game. We'll see how far they go this year. Uh, but so they got the three seed, which mm-hmm. meant that they had to go on the road to the two seed this past week. They had to go all the way down to Orchard Park, the hostile environs of Orchard Park. Right. Yep. And uh, uh, and it was a laugher. It was 50 to nothing Bennett at halftime. They ended up winning 50 to six because I think they just they they let the, there's nothing in the rule book says no dogs can't play football. Uh, they just let they just let whoever play in the second half. Um but, yeah, they won 50-6, to six, which means they get to go back to Orchard Park this weekend, uh, but this time instead of playing at Orchard Park High School, they'll play at the Ralph, uh, and in the Revenge Tour, they get to play Lancaster.
0: So this is a Section 6 championship.
3: Six, this is the Section 6 championship. So, mm-hmm. e- like again, even though they were forced to forfeit six games, right. they still came in as the number three seed in the playoffs.
1: Now, we're not recommending you gamble on high school sports, but if you were, Jim, <laughs> what's the line? What's the line on the Lancaster? I I, I I think it's I think it's probably Bennett like minus
3: six. Minus six? Yeah. I mean it's well I mean they, they played earlier. It was a close game last, this year. They played twice last year. Bennett won like fourteen to ten at the Ralph last year against them. It was like Bennett's closest game until they lost in the state finals was against Lancaster. So I think it'll be close. Uh ish. I mean it's gonna be closer than the fifty to six drubbing that Orchard Park
2: got. Wow. Any, any um, Tell me about the Lancaster team. Any eligibility concerns there? I mean, not for Section 6.
1: <laughs> 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 well, if, if you're looking for individual player props, go to Diamond Jim on the side. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's got his whole book. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, do you think all the, the cigarettes you're selling, the, the kids at Lancaster High, is that helping their performance on the field?
1: Yeah, it's a fight to asthma. <laughs> 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 it makes the long stronger. Right, protein really. cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, we'll we'll see what happens. Best of luck to, to Bennett yeah. and, and to Lancaster, I guess. Now, best of luck to Bennett. Who gives a shit about Lancaster? Uh, <laughs> I was, you know, you said it, really. So. All right. All right. Well, moving on to a story uh, a much different tenor. Um, something that we haven't covered on the show here at all, I don't think. Um, but it's definitely been dominating the headlines and, dare I say, dominating the... The political races, uh, whether it be the governor's race or even um, the state Senate race, the uh, just absolutely brutal murder of Kiara Benningfield at the hands of her estranged husband, Adam Benningfield, um, the story here being, and, and Jeff had uh, a great piece in the investigative post uh, recently about this, uh, but just to kind of summarize is that Kiara Benningfield was a victim of domestic abuse. Her husband was charged with a misdemeanor, um, he was allowed without bail to be released. He then murdered um, Kiara Benningfield in front of her children and family, and now this grisly, terrible murder has now become the cause celebre for the Republican Party in their ongoing battle against bail reform. Essentially, saying that this, you know, violent offender was let back out after he was shown to be abusive with you know no cash bail he then went on to murder his wife um i mean this is like the poster child
2: of why bail reform is bad so yeah and and that's and that's the issue so the story i wrote was about um uh I talked to a bunch of actual actually uh, a bunch of criminal defense attorneys, none of whom would go on the record because they can't. They have to deal with the with the district attorney's office. So they didn't want to level this criticism with their name attached to it. But I did get one person, uh, Judith Olin, who's the head of the family violence clinic at UB Law School, former Erie County prosecutor. She was an ADA. And she said, yeah, listen, here's the thing. This should not be. This tragedy should not be used as a political football. It is not an example of the failures of bail reform, if anything. It's an example of the failure of law enforcement to, to properly address and charge incidents of domestic violence. That Adam Benefield, on the basis of uh, his wife's, his late wife's, uh, his murdered wife's testimony to police after this assault, he could have been charged with at least two felonies: uh, felony sexual assault and felony unlawful imprisonment. And those would have been bail eligible. And he, uh, he, and that doesn't say it wouldn't have happened anyway. If they'd issued bail, he might have posted it, and he might have gone out and killed her anyway. Um, he very likely would have because he is was a, is a dangerous and kind of mentally unstable man. He's a violent. Violent guy, um, but it is—it's wrong and it is uh, and incorrect to use this as an example of the failures of bail reform. Uh, rather, she said, we should really be looking at the way law enforcement addresses domestic violence. It's been a problem forever. You know, it's been a problem for a long time. And uh, and he could have been charged with felonies, but frequently these. And, you know, police originally charged him with harassment after he'd beaten her pretty savagely. And she, you know, went to the Cheektowaga police and said, what happened? And the original charge was harassment. Over the next few days, as it became clear to Cheektowaga police th- how dangerous he was, how volatile the situation was, they upped those charges, but still just to misdemeanors, misdemeanors that were not bail-eligible.
1: Yeah, and, and not to go into all the grisly details, but I mean that that initial assault, like, pretty vile. It it, it included you know uh, sexual violations. It included um, physical assault uh, on this woman. And to consider that harassment, I mean, that's it's absurd.
2: He locked the door. He took her phone. He held her down. He he brandished knives. All of these things. Uh, all of these things. And what these things? This is that's the knives especially. And the sexual violation; um, those things warranted a higher charge, and but it's just it is law enforcement typically with domestic violence does not charge as high as they might, particularly if the victim is an African American woman. Yeah, I mean it's it's disgusting. It's uh, there's nothing you can say. This is
1: a, a tragedy. Just I, I have trouble wrapping my mind around it, um, and yet it has become like I said it has become the political football Jeff it's become the you know here it is the democrats the failure of bail reform letting criminals on the street uh you know this is what happens when you're soft on crime like the democratic party is and this has been the the drum they've been banging <laughs> what the past 4 years past 3 years 50 i know right i mean the particular law and order thing right. that's you know, sure, but the bail reform issue especially has become the rallying
3: cry. Well, but, but it's, it, it, that's the rallying cry in New York State. They're, the Republicans are using this rallying cry about crime going up all across the country. And if you look at the stat, like statistically, it's gone up much more in Republican controlled states and areas than it has in Democrat controlled areas. They're just using it because, just like people in this country, when they hear, oh, well, inflation is really high in the United States, don't none of them are smart enough to look and see is inflation going up like in the world economy and are all countries suffering from this? They go up. Oh, it's only hap- it must be only happening here because Joe Biden, uh, Like you know, let's go, Brandon. And they don't look at like, the greater uh, picture. Same thing happens with crime. Crime went up during the pandemic, generally across the board mm-hmm. throughout the entire United States. And people in New York are hearing the Republicans saying this only is only happening because of bail reform. When it, that's not the case, if, if anything, uh, my, uh, might I add that it's still much lower crime is than the nineties. Right, right, and and much and now higher. that we're coming out of the pandemic, it's dipping back down. Right. Yes, um, and so you know, violent crime is still up a little bit, but it's still yeah much lower than the nineties and like way lower than like the fucking seventies. Um, and but they're using this and and. For some reason, the Democrats can't get a hold of the message and say the crime has been up across the nation. This isn't because of bail reform. And then and then that doesn't even get into like the human rights argument of like people should be bail reform. We talked last week about that pharmaceutical bro here Larson and how the judge wouldn't let him take a plea deal because he didn't have money. But we don't, we had no problem or at least Republicans are saying they have no problem with people being held in jail because they don't have money for bail. Right. Just put them in jail forever. Cause they, what they mean is we mean black and Brown people and poor people. We don't care about them. This rich white guy from Clarence, he doesn't have the money right now. Uh, we, we should let what, think about his life. We don't want to ruin his life for him. You know, and then that's not even to get to like we had when we had uh, Councilman Nowak on talking about how the Eighth Amendment and the fucking Bill of Rights and reasonable bail.
2: You know, a couple weeks ago, there's a a very rare meeting of uh, the Buffalo Common Council's Police Oversight Committee and uh, the police commissioner, Joe Grimagli, was there. And he actually, surprisingly, gave a very sort of nuanced take. He's a, a huge, he wants bail reform not tossed. He wants it revised. And he's very adamant about it. He's He, you know, he said, I can talk about this for hours if you'd like, because he said, this is bail reform is a real problem for my department. But what he actually said was fairly nuanced. He said, you know, it's a problem in a very, very tiny subset. He said, for the most part, it's fine. And it's absolutely true that people should not languish in jail awaiting uh, arraignment or awaiting, you know, a, an appearance in court because they can't afford to get out and some other guy can. Mm-hmm. That's wrong. And, that, and it's good that we change that. But there's this very, very narrow area where it's causing problems, and we would like to address those. And I was like, that. Is sanity right there? That's normal. That's right. And and remember, you know, the the bail reforms were made in two thousand nineteen. By the next year, they'd been revised, mm-hmm. and they'll be revised again. You know, but but you can't like you can't take a step towards humanity and then take three steps back because it was uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know, or because there were there was anecdotal evidence that in very rare cases it resulted in. A tragedy that shouldn't happen right well that's the other thing is like they're using all these anecdotes as though
3: like prior to bail reform none of these anecdotes ever happened yeah here's,
2: here's the thing adam benefield in 2018 if this had happened in 2018 he'd have walked out of court then too mm-hmm. you know probably without bail and if there had been bail he'd have posted it Ab- absolutely and i mean again not i i, I want to
1: I, I want to divorce the tragedy um with Kiara Benningfield, you know, her death, I want to divorce that from the political sphere and yet you, you cannot because it's been put on such uh put so forth to the forefront of this with Lee Zeldin, putting out the messaging about, you know, Kathy Hochul is responsible for the death of this woman in Buffalo in her hometown. And just something that, you know, the Democrats have been on the back heels on this um for, or, or joining the choir or joining the choir right. yeah we talked about eric adams in new york city the the mayor down there uh,
3: who who's never met a union he doesn't hate except for the police union uh <laughs> going out and like rallying a, a, a against like bell reform and saying like it's the sole cause for like increased crime in new york city it's just insanity but like you know like we mentioned though like when you have the democratic mayor of new york city saying this it
1: lends uh, believability or credence to what the Republicans are saying. Yeah, and I I don't think this will in any way cost Kathy Hochul the election. I, I think she still wins, perhaps um, a little bit too close for comfort. Uh, but I will say, I, I hope that, you know, I, I hope this is a cause, I hope this is a cause for introspection for the Democratic Party that, just, just like the tax thing, Jim, you know, they don't give a shit if you're somebody who says, if you're a Democrat who, you know, bangs on about lower taxes. They're still going to say, "Wow, you are just a crazy, you know, spendthrift. Like you spend too much money. The Democrats are wasting your money." Same thing with this. They're going to say, "Oh, the Democrats are letting violent offenders out." Even if you're somebody who's like, "Oh, bail reform, terrible. The worst thing." They don't care. Right. They're just going to hit you on it anyway. So, why don't you be on the side of sanity and stand up for what you believe in? Cuz clearly Kathy Hochul does believe in bail reform um, you know, thinking it makes, <laughs> makes financial sense for the state. And then somewhere down the line, it, it helps human rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, you know, her, a lot of her rhetoric has been, you know, we support the police and yada, yada, the, the, and the, the crime, cr- the crime framing, right. Um, well, it's, it's, I mean,
3: not to get too much into the downstate stuff, but like, you know, even de Blasio was big on bail reform and he wanted to close Rikers because, you know, they did an audit and they found that like each individual prisoner at Rikers cost the city of New York like $550,000 a year. It's an insane amount of money it was costing them per uh, per inmate there. Um, and Rikers, like, we don't you know, think of it because of TV shows, but like, that's where you're just held for like pre arraignment in New York right. City. So, like, they're like, if with bail reform, maybe we can close Rikers and save tens of millions of dollars a year uh, in New York City, and by the way, quite a few lives. What, oh yeah, we, right. more, more, yeah, more, <laughs> almost as many lives. Yeah, um, and you know, and uh, and Adams has you know flipped the switch
1: on that as as well. Anyway, terrible, terrible tragedy, but great, great piece in the investigative post uh, that you put out, Jeff. I encourage our listeners to read it if you haven't done so already. Thank you. Moving on, the finances. Yep. They're here. The elections are here. Listener, by the time you're listening, probably have happened. Yep.
3: Uh, We're only going to talk about four races uh, because campaign finance website, uh, Jeff and I both try to access it. And it turned out if you just try to, like, search for active campaigns, nothing comes up. You have to search all campaigns, including terminated campaigns for the currently active campaigns that come up. I found that because I just assumed that maybe Frank Smirchek was like cheating (laughs) (laughs) and uh, because he he didn't come up during for active campaigns. So when I searched all, he came up and then I searched all and found like Sean Ryan and Ed Rath. And I was like, you know, Frank Smirchek might be playing playing fast and loose with the rules. But like Ed Rath and Sean Ryan, especially because they're both currently in the Senate, are going to at least. Pay more attention to the rules.
0: Someone hit the wrong button there. Yeah. 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 Yep. So uh, yeah, was-
2: I, I tried to search and I had some problems. and I couldn't <coughs> find Sandy Magnano's filings at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's Pat Burke's opponent. And I thought for a moment I'd stumbled across something. I was like, j'accuse you. <laughs> you have failed to file. But it was really just the State Board of Right. There's a
3: one where there's supposed to be a zero. Yeah. 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 Um, so we're going to just talk about the 142nd. That's Burke Magnano. 143rd, Wallace check. The 61st Senate, that's the Ryan Rath, and the county clerk's race. So uh, we'll start, I guess, in the 142nd. Uh, incumbent Pat Burke.
2: Yeah, so a closer, apparently, yeah. a closer race than than one might have expected uh, from between Pat Burke and... Uh, the incumbent, and Sandy Bagnano, first-time candidate, as far as I know. Yeah, first-time candidate and kind of insane person. She's a... You say that. (laughs) She's frothing at the mouth. She's from West Seneca, which is sort of like the epicenter of...
3: So, the rebirth of like a, a far right in Western New York for the most part. Yeah, Ka- uh, so you say that. Yeah, right. Portal open to the upside down. <laughs> right. right in West Side, Ka- but it's because it's, it's, it's the, the 142nd that Burke represents right now. Like, he did get a little bit more Kaisertown, which in the redistricting, which should theoretically help him out. But, you know, part of that district was based in the past of South Buffalo, Lackawanna's Democratic strongholds, West Seneca, which had been a Democratic relative stronghold. And then Orchard Park, which you just kind of, like, ignored. And the village of Orchard Park votes Democrat as well. But in the last, you know, eight to ten years, West Seneca's really coming on hard as a Republican stronghold. Uh, It voted for Trump both elections. um, And they've been voting for Republican council members at the town level. It is the Um, homeland of the Larigos, the the conservative party. party. So, um, you know, it's really turned around. I mean, and it's not like they didn't support Republicans in the past. I mean, you know, uh, John Greenan was a... uh, County legislator from there, you know, twenty years ago before he ended up at the county and then the sheriff's office.
2: Yeah. Anyway, it seems like like smelling a little of Pat Burke's blood in the water. The, yeah. The Republicans have have sent a fair amount of money right. to Sandy McNano. They seem to be paying for uh, for a lot of her campaign.
3: Yeah. Well, and uh, you know, I mean, you know, Burke's made a couple of unforced errors. We've mentioned a couple of times that he hasn't fundraised like anybody who's been in office as long as he has. You would expect. Um, and then. You know, he very notably uh, in June fired almost his entire staff and was on the front page of the Buffalo News about it.
2: Not a good look. Not not
3: a great look <laughs> that, you know, like <laughs> right at right after the top shooting.
1: Right.
3: And it wasn't coincidental. Right. Um, so, yeah, not a, not a great look. And, you know, and and he's gotten a bit of a reputation while while he is in assembly leadership of not always playing nice with the other members of the local delegation. And so, you know, he's he hasn't always played nice with ECDC, uh, although,
1: you know, he is now. You wouldn't know
3: if you, I mean, you wouldn't know it by the you wouldn't know it over the last month <laughs> with the pictures he's taking with right. the chairman and the shit and grin with
1: Jeremy Zellner, you know, just so. Uh, so
3: so notes from Burke's finance uh, in the 32 pre general um, shortly after the July filing, he did get a thousand dollars from the New York State Troopers pack, which is interesting. Yeah. For for a Democrat for for a Democrat. For this particular Democrat, not yeah. not a super pro law enforcement Democrat, though, though he has gotten a lot of money out of his assembly seat for Lackawanna PD and West Seneca PD. Yeah, um, you know, but he, he doesn't. He's not a frothing at them out like I'm pro law enforcement Democrat.
2: No, he's he's, he's he, on the on the on the political scale. He's he weighs in pretty far to the left. He's yeah, fair, he is probably the most. he's certainly the most progressive member of assembly from from Western New York. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and probably one of the more progressive elected officials.
3: Yeah, I mean it's yeah, he's this is not a blue dog Democrat. No. 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 Uh, and then so in the eleven day pre general, um, he got he did get forty seven hundred f- um, from Speaker Heasty's pack, um, which makes sense. He is in leadership in the assembly. Um, you know, he does have you know, as much as he doesn't have a great relationship with necessarily with some of the local delegation, he has a good relationship with the speaker. Yeah. Um, you know, so, I mean, that makes some sense that he would give him that money. Um, and then, you know, he also got almost one hundred and sixty thousand dollars from DAC, from the Democratic Assembly Campaign Committee that DAC is spending money in almost all the local assembly races. But that's also a kind of like a you know, he should have raised more money. Like he, would, he would have gotten money from DAC. But maybe he wouldn't have gotten one hundred sixty thousand if he had been a better fundraiser over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, of that that money, uh, of the one hundred fifty seven, he spent one hundred fifteen on TV ads. He spent twenty thousand dollars on online ads, uh, and he spent almost he spent twenty four and a half on polling. Um, so you know the polling, obviously concerned about the race. Yes, uh, one hundred fifteen thousand dollars on TV ads is quite a TV buy for an assembly race. It is <laughs> $20,000 on online ads is an insane amount of money on online ads. Cause like Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that is very cheap to advertise. So to spend $20,000 is just like obscene.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But his issue is got, to, so the district favors him, mm-hmm. you know, favors the Democrat and favors and an incumbent is always favored, right. but, uh, but he needs to drum up some enthusiasm. Yeah. Right. he needs to, it's the old saw. He needs people to show up to vote. Right. If if he's going to if he's going to win against Sandy Magnano, who on paper might not shouldn't be such a threat, but apparently is. Yeah. Maybe because he hasn't campaigned hard enough. Maybe because the atmosphere, the political atmosphere this year, uh, is and the, is favoring Republicans, right. challenging incumbent Democrats. Yeah,
3: and, uh, and, and and you know the insurgent Zeldin campaign over the last two yeah. months is certainly helping you know bring out more Republicans and, and uh, so look, talking about Magnano. Um, the 32 pre, she got 20,000 from rack, the Republican assembly campaign committee. They went directly $20,000 in TV ads like the next day. Um, so that was exactly where it went. 11 day. She got 12 K from rack 1500 from ECRC. She spent 27,000 on TV ads. What's interesting is that I noted here is that, um, there's no expenditures for radio ads, but she has radio ads. And not only does she have radio ads, but like like we're gonna, like some of the TV ads and stuff like that that we're seeing for some of the campaigns are being paid for out of Albany from the Senate campaign or the Assembly campaign. But these radio ads of hers say, you know, like you know, Sandy for Assembly at the right. end in her voice. So they're coming from the theoretically her campaign. Like they must be coming from her campaign. Yet they haven't either that or she's coordinating with right. somebody. <laughs> right, out or illegally. she's yeah, right, legally coordinated. Yeah. So, um, so. That there's no expenditures here on the uh, the radio ads. Um, that that's a big red flag. Like what? How is she spending that money? Maybe in the is it is it entered under Yolo? Perhaps <laughs> no, <laughs> that's uh, not Rans is retired. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, maybe we'll see in the post general that she paid for it. But I I wouldn't be surprised if a post general that like maybe there's like an amended. Pre general, sure. Yeah, the amendments. Where, where, the, yeah, right, where, the, all, uh, where all sins are
2: both revealed <laughs> and resolved. Right, <laughs> right. Right. right.
3: Uh it's like the confessional. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh Also of note for Sandy Magnano, um, she got a couple. They're they're all sub one hundred dollars. I think they're all like seventy five dollars or less. But it was, it was three of them donations from Dave Faff. Um,
2: Jeff, who's Dave Faff? Dave Pfaff is a longtime political operative, nominally a Democrat, although, you know, he's, he's got a gun and he, will, he is for hire. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is uh, closely, he's, he's basically been part of Steve Pidgeon's uh, circle of operatives since forever. Uh, every once in a while, his, his uh, loyalty and, and campaign work has been awarded with some sort of job. Uh, but a lot he spends a lot of time just jumping from one campaign to another. And right his job's no you, reward for right, it right his,
3: And his jobs are usually short-lived because he jumps from one campaign to the other with like no seemingly like three year plan. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, he's yeah. more like a goldfish with like a three second plan. And,
2: may, and maybe those donations are maybe Dave Pfaff knows Sandy Magnano and maybe there's some relationship there. Or maybe he is working on her campaign.
3: Right. Yeah, I mean, I, you're know, like, if she wins, like, you know, now would I be surprised if Dave Pfaff is working in her assembly office? Not necessarily. No. Right. But like, it, it also given his history, if he gets no reward out of this, I also wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> That's, if I were a betting man, right. that
2: is what I would bet on.
3: Uh, then the other quick note I have about the Magnano campaign is that she's received uh, two donations, one for $1,000, one for $3,000 from an organization called, Women on the Rise, Inc., uh, out of Castleton, New York. Uh, I looked into them. According to the campaign finance, they've only given money to Republican candidates upstate for assembly, uh, female candidates uh, or women candidates. Uh, But none of these candidates can seem to agree exactly what is Women on the Rise. And I Googled it, and I, I found an organization called Women on the Rise in, like, Atlanta in the southeast Clearly, a totally different organization. Like they're giving money to like minority-owned female or woman-owned businesses. Um, you know, not giving thousand dollars a pop to upstate Republicans in New York. Um, <laughs> but uh, two of them, including Sandy, listed it on Schedule B, which is where businesses go on the campaign finance filing. Two of them scheduled on Schedule C as the like a pack, and then a uh, local uh, candidate and insert any. Adjective you like Katrina Zeplowitz, who is an ad-rath staffer who's running against Karen McMahon for assembly, has as a transfer in. That is 100 percent incorrect. There's no like like if if women on the rise is actually the cover for a party constituted committee, that is a that's a major story that somebody needs to look into. I can't imagine that's actually the case. And that is what transfers in are: constituted party committees to uh, candidate committees. So there's no way to transfer in or out. Like transfer, like a if you get it from like the New York State Republican Committee or the West Seneca Republicans, or like that can be a transfer in or out.
2: An independent organization and, tra- and transfers have have different limits, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Exactly. Right. So so yeah. That's, right. that's that's the fundamental difference.
3: Right. Like when, when like when Burke got you know one hundred and fifty seven thousand five hundred dollars from DAC, those were in transfers. It was in a couple of different transfers, but those were in transfers. They weren't an individual donation. So,, uh, so that's the 140 second you guys
1: gonna, you know, uh, uh, my I was thinking this whole time here, Jim, even with the best case scenario for Pat Burke is that he wins what will likely be a very n- by a narrow margin, even in that best case scenario, which is by no means guaranteed, he's in for a world of shit. Two reasons. One, he, he blood in the water, not just on the Republican side, within his own party. He does not fundraise. He has not really played ball with ecdc up until the current moment where he needed them the most he could not operate without them um he's going to have a come to jesus moment where he's got to figure out where his priorities lie if he's going to play nice with the chairman with mark Pollen cars which he has not done so in the past so he's somebody who again should he win is ripe for a primary Two, sandy magnano is not going away um i'll, I'll tell you that much like uh, you have a first time candidate who's able to raise this kind of money, who's able to garner this kind of support being very much in that, I would say, fringe right wing, but increasingly less fringe. Right. She is, you know, she's the face of what the Republican Party is going to put out here in Western New York. Um out of West Seneca, I mean, she's not going away. So I, I would would not be shocked that even if Pat Burke wins this time around, he wouldn't face a challenge again from Sandy.
3: Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on how much he wins. But if he wins, how much he wins by? If it's fifty two forty eight or fifty one forty nine, obviously they're com- everybody's coming for him. If somehow he wins fifty seven forty three, the Republicans are going to go. Well, this was a waste of money. Correct. You know, and, and and she's no good. Like we'll just find some other crazy person to run next time that with a 1791 society can give all their money to.
1: I, I just don't foresee that 5743 is what I'm saying. I, I, I think the I, narrow margin I, is right. I, I I don't think he's
3: going to win by that, but if he somehow does, yeah, you know, if he, it, 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 I don't even 5545 might be enough that they go, okay, Sandy McDonald not the person. Um, and even 5743 doesn't necessarily preclude him from a primary in the democratic party, uh, but it would be a, like, that would be a pretty strong showing uh, given that that would be better than he did last time. So, yeah. Uh, you know, if, if he's able to pull out a larger victory like that, you know, he doesn't need to win sixty forty for people to go, oh, OK, we'll leave him alone. Fifty six, fifty five might be enough to dissuade the Republicans from really spending that much effort on him again.
1: I, I guess to me, it's just the lack of the fundraising and, you know, the unwillingness to play ball with ECDC until, you know, he he had to be, I, I don't know. I wasn't there. I, I, I wasn't there for the meeting of Pat Burke and Jeremy Zellner, but I got to tell you, uh, he's not going and taking photo ops with Jeremy willingly. You know, I, based on things he said in the past, based on, um, you know, just knowing Pat, that he's not gladly, uh, you know, handshaking Jeremy Zellner, unless he's, he thought of something that he really needed, which I, I think mean, it is I mean, going over the financial. He didn't get, he didn't get any money from ECDC.
3: He didn't get money from Zellner for chairman. And you know, like, In you'll see uh, in like the Monica Wallace filings and and, like the Sean Ryan filings, you saw a lot of like Erie County, like Poland cars staffers giving money to them. You didn't see those individuals showing up at the Burke fundraisers. Now his last fundraiser happened between the 11 day deadline and the election. So maybe they all showed up then. I mean, that's those, the pictures that we most recently saw with Zellner and Poland cars were at that fundraiser for Pat in between the 11 day deadline and this. So maybe they all showed up then, but you didn't see them before then. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's, it's interesting. It, he made, he had to make a, a play with them. Um, it'll be interesting. Let's, let's see what the results come out, but I wouldn't be surprised if you're right. If he wins like 53, 47 or, or worse um he, he's got a tough two years uh if he if he somehow wins better, it's going to be a little bit easier. and of course look I'm not assuming he's winning. I, I think it's a coin no. flip. no all right 143rd Wallace who I did say did a much better job fundraising this last couple of years mm-hmm. um at the 32 day she did spend a 24 or five on polling exact same uh polling place out of Massachusetts that uh Burke did. Um, and she had 136k on hand. At the eleven day, um, she had gotten uh, in those twenty one days one hundred twenty thousand in, in transferred in from DAC. Um, she also spent twenty k on online ads, and she spent one hundred sixty k on TV ads. Uh, yep. Now, she seems to be in better shape than she was two years ago. If you guys remember last time, two years ago, um, on election night, it looked like she lost. We had right. to wait for the absentees mm, to come close. in. Super close. Yeah. Uh, that's good. Against Frank Smirchek. Um, we've talked about checks not running as strong a campaign. The Republicans don't seem to be putting as much effort into check as they did uh, two years ago. Uh, part of it is you know, with redistricting. She lost a lot of the eastern part of Lancaster, which is a much more conservative part, Republican right. part of Lancaster. Um, so um, but and she also raised a lot more money this time. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, Burke was coming in in, in July with about like fifty six thousand and uh Monica was over hundred grand in the bank.
2: Smirchek, on the other hand, is, as your notes indicate, has enough left for about four sheet pizzas for <laughs> his uh... and not for Macy's. Like he, he's <laughs> definitely not for Macy's.
3: Yeah, a no. little Caesar, right? Yeah. right. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's got 137 left, 137 dollars, not thousand. And actually that's rounding up. It was like one thirty six eighty or something like that.
2: You left it all on the field.
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh, he did give eight K to Rack, uh, which goes back to my point where the Republicans are having like uh, their their Albany committees, maybe doing some of their mailers because you know, I mentioned last week I got that Monica Wallace hates your fucking guts mailer that came from yep. Frank smearcheck but it came from Albany. It didn't come from the Smearcheck for Assembly campaign. It came from RAC.
2: Yeah, I wonder if we have, have you. I wonder. I wonder who's producing them. I wonder why. Uh, why state Republicans want such tight control on on the expenditures? Right. Yeah. Who, I, they, who they want? Who the, who they're paying, you know? Well, it's
3: interesting, but because like DAC is giving the money directly to the can candidates, but as I mentioned, Monica and 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 Pat paid the same people to make TV ads, paid the same polling place for polling, paid the same people for online ads. So DAC is directing them to who to same way spend yep. the money. So they it's the same. The money's being controlled by DAC. Uh, but they're giving it and it's the illusion that the campaigns have money and they're doing it uh, on the Republican side. No, no, no. We're going to do everything ourselves. You have to give us the money. Um, we can't trust you guys because uh, maybe it's because like you know, people like Sandy Magnano and Frank Smearchek are just too big of a wild cards for uh, Albany to worry about. So, um, and like, I, I also have a note in here uh, going over Magnano's fundraisers uh, and individual donations and Smearcheck. Now Smearchek is running to represent Lancaster, Magnano isn't, but it looks like Magnano actually got more money from the Lancaster Republicans, and Lancaster Republican Committee. Uh, the Lancaster Republican Committee did, like, do a transfer to Smirchek of, like, $2,000, but individual donations, like, like all the like the Republican uh, like chairman and, like, all of his officers in Lancaster Republican Committee all gave, like, sizable checks to Magnano, like, you know, $100 or more, and Smirchek is busy, like, you know, begging, like, former Erie County board
1: employees for, like, $55. Yeah, we had noted before, Jim, that it seemed like Smirchak was, a, a few months ago, I should say, it, it felt like he was throwing in the towel. Yeah, well, like, I, remember, I, I was
3: told that he actually refused to do petitions himself this year.
1: <laughs> I mean...
3: I mean, I don't know, like, even if, like, doing petitions sucks, but if you're man the... Man of the people. <laughs> if you're the candidate, I don't know, going door-to-door to, door to people in your own political party to drum up base support seems like a pretty good use of time if you're actually serious about running for election.
2: Well, you certainly don't want to get the impression you can't be bothered <laughs> you know, to, to talk to the people you want to represent. Yeah. You at least want to get out there and have a few pictures of yourself taken <laughs> right, on a front porch, you know. So uh, Hopefully inside your own district.
3: So I, we have that still as, a, as, you know, because it was so close two years ago as potentially a close race. Uh, but I, I feel much more confident about uh, the Wallace campaign this year. Uh, but... You know, a bit interesting, like the early vote numbers coming out of Uh, There are a lot of Republicans voting in Cheektowaga at early voting. So, well, I mean, we'll see. It, it, it might be another one of those nail biters on election night. Um, all right. Senate, uh, the, the, the only state Senate race that matters around here because it's the only one that's really existing
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, is Sean Ryan and Ed Rath. So uh, Sean Ryan, 32 day pre primary. At that point, he'd spent almost one hundred thousand dollars in TV ads. Um, He spent almost $30,000 on polling and he had gotten in 95,000 from the democratic Senate campaign committee. But then like three days later gave them $27,000 back the 11 day he's gotten, he got an $11,800 donations from both Andrew Stewart cousins, the majority leader of the, of the Senate and Mike Gianaris who's like deputy majority leader, but he also transferred over 170 K to the democratic Senate campaign committee. So, but even with that, he had with eleven days left. He had over two hundred thousand dollars on hand. I Man, and he's not slowing down his media buys. I'd be I'd be very surprised if he had more than like fifteen to twenty thousand dollars left by election day.
2: Yeah, and access to money doesn't seem to be his issue. Right, no. his issue no. is just that Ed Rath is also an incumbent and right. has name recognition and can also raise some money and get support. Yeah, uh, from 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 Albany Republicans. Uh, it's it's. That could end up being a very although the the registration favors Ryan, right, and and perhaps money too. Um, it's that could be a very close race. Yeah,
3: I mean, and and look, Ryan has access to money like he is he doesn't get he doesn't have like four thousand fifty dollar donations. He's getting thousands of dollars from like downstate packs and labor uh, and you know statewide labor packs constantly.
2: Yeah, and you have what what's jumped out at me too is the is the number of. Last minute donations. Right. Yeah. Coming in the last couple of weeks. Right.
3: So the, the, these, these 24 hour notices, if, if you, in, after between the 11 day pre general, um, and this is the same day as the same thing, in primary 11 day primary, pre- pre- primary, If you get a donation of a thousand dollars or more, you have 24 hours to file that with the board of elections to let them know that you got an extra thousand dollars or however much, um, you know, in these assembly races, you know, Monica had like two or three, um, uh, you know, Burke had like one, Magnano had like one, uh, Sean had 28 so far. It's not election day yet. Uh, that was as of, you know, you know those were as of uh, two days ago. He had 28 uh, notices, was 29, but one, there was an amendment to change. It. So it's only 28 notices, but you know, so like big money is still flowing into the, the Sean Ryan campaign. Um, I, I, if you're going to watch the bills game later today. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the past tense for people listening, I, I mean, surprise. they've already
1: been inundated with political ads already, but right. it's going to just get worse. Yeah. By the time you're listening to this, you will never want to turn on your television again. Yep. Uh, so his opponent, Ed Rath, uh, 32 pre, uh,
3: the main thing I, I noticed is that he he got $500 and, and cashed the check from the 1791 Society. Uh, Jeff, who is the 1791 Society for people who don't know? Oh,
2: it? they're like all Second Amendment. They're gun- They're like, what's well they present themselves as single issue voters. Uh, it's it's all about, about access to guns, 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 guns. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there's some spillover into other uh, far right wing uh, positions too.
3: Um, so, um, generally most of your, and, and Ed is kind of portraying himself in his TV ads as like a, a more genteel Northeastern Republican that we're used to from like 30 years ago. The
1: Rockefeller Republican.
3: Uh, but apparently he's not. He's not afraid to take some money from you know the the new uh, far right, like he did with his five hundred dollars from seventeen ninety one.
2: Yeah, and it's not as if being like like a uh, pro gun owners' rights is not a cannot be a mainstream Republican position. It, it, it is and has been. It was under Rockefeller too, but um, uh, you know, and under you know, Pataki or what have you. But uh, but this particular group, Dispar- the seventeen ninety one Society. This is not, you know, necessarily. This is not limited to like, you know, like farmers and hunters out in Marilla. These are these are folks who are like rabidly uh, gun rights advocates. They'd
1: make the NRA blush, right? (laughs) Like they
2: they they brook no limitations on your right Mm -hmm. to um, to own and carry a firearm. And so, yeah. Sandy McNamara took their money too, right? Sandy, Sandy McNana took, a, but that's more of a, fit. Gladly. right? Gladly. <laughs> took, took a, took a, she took
3: a lot more of their money. Uh, but the Seventeen Ninety One Society, uh, I believe, their mailing address is West Seneca, so they're that's of her, course her, it her is. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, like, yeah, she is. She's more of that, you know, far right ilk and a new, you know, since like Trump Republican, uh, or at least since the Tea Party type of far right, um, especially since Trump. Uh, Ed, Ra- Ed Rath, that's not his political DNA, uh, but if the money's there, he's taking it. Uh, and then 11-day pre, uh, suddenly a couple donations from 295 Main Street.
2: Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> 295 Main Street, the lair of Carl Palladino. Correct. Dun, dun, yeah. dun. Lots
3: of money from the local home builders. Mm. Um, so... Uh, and then he spent 125k on TV ads, and he transferred out almost 74,000 to the state GOP, which again goes back to um, the Republicans are letting Albany handle a lot of their stuff. Um, and he had about 97,000 left as 11 days beforehand. I expect he'll have even less left than Sean will have.
1: How? How? So with this one, Jim, I know you know we've been following it for a while, but you mentioned earlier the. Zeldin campaign has been you know resurgent in the past couple months i'm inclined to agree um who's going to have the stronger coattails in this district kathy Hokel or lee Zeldin? strangely enough well i mean it's interesting because like you know a lot of the areas that where Zeldin would have stronger
3: coattails for at Rath aren't in that Edrath district anymore Like, it's it's most of the sean rhino district plus amherst and as we talked about last week you know 15 years ago, that would have been huge for Ed Rath. But, you know, in the last decade and a half, Amherst has trended very hard blue. You know, you've got a Democratic supervisor. You've got a Democratic-controlled town board there. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's not a, as awesome for Ed Rath as it used to be. I mean, you know, now a Democrat it, gladly will pick up Amherst because, you know, like you've got like Brian Kulp out there as a supervisor who's very popular and, and um, has a well-organized team. Uh, to help you and the Amherst Democratic Committee is well organized to help on the ground. Um, so I mean, yeah, 15 years ago I was said, oh yeah, well this is, you know, Tanawanda, Amherst. Yeah, the Republicans, that's where they make their that's where they make their hay in Erie County. That's not the case anymore. Um, you know, the Tonawanda Republican Committee uh, I don't want to say is in shambles, but it has had much better days. Yeah. And the Amherst Republican Committee
1: um is not nearly as strong as it used to be. Well, because the Amherst Dems have been so strong. Right. You know, Joe McMahon's uh, work there is
2: unparalleled, frankly.
3: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the the, the Amherst Republicans started to fall apart about 20 years ago. They, they started uh, do, having more infighting. Infighting uh, is what really, yeah. yeah.
2: Maybe that's evidence of it, or maybe it's the cause, but in any case. Right.
3: Um, you know, and, and that included, like, you know, Republican elected officials picking sides in the infighting yeah. and openly fighting. Well, not openly, but, like, as much as Republicans openly fight each other. Um, so, you know, it, so that kind of deteriorated the strength of the Republican committee there. Um, so, I mean, I think I think Sean Ryan's going to win. I you know, obviously I, I would don't I wouldn't put a bunch of money on it. Um, you know, bet against, you know, the Rath family at, at your, own, your own peril. But um, I, I think that Sean should be considered the favorite.
1: Uh, but you I feel th- more comfortable on the Bennett high money line than you do on the show. Oh, Ryan yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> So, all right, uh, let's let's talk about the county clerk's race.
3: Why not? Uh, Hartman uh, at eleven days had seventy six thousand dollars left in hand, um, but like she's getting, she, I mean, she's not, uh, she's obviously not going to get Albany money, but she's getting money. Uh, you know, she got twenty thousand from the Zellner for chairman uh, committee, twenty five k from ECDC, uh, Brian Culpa out Amherst gave her ten k. Um, she spent over fifty-seven thousand on TV ads. I expect that when we get the post general, that that her campaign is going to be about zeroed out, um, and it's going to go a ton into TV ads. Uh, Kearns, conversely, had less than twenty thousand on hand. He did get five hundred dollars from Ellicott Development. He got a thousand dollars from Russ Salvatore. He spent fifty k on TV ads, um, but I, I don't see anybody last minute coming to the uh, save Kearns and giving him a bunch more money. And his 50k on TV ads was in the 32 day pre, um, so he must have like spread them out. Uh, 11 day pre, he had no money for TV ads or radio ads or online ads, so he spent all that money before so He made his
2: buy early. He made
3: his buy early and just kind of spread it out. He notably he didn't do his buy through like a media buyer. He the Kerns, if you look at it, like there's x money to wgrz there's x money to wiv uh, wivb he, like he spent it directly with the local stations as opposed to using a media buy uh, a company in new york or, or dc mm. um one of the things i across the board pretty much all of them um way less money on mailers than you in the past mm. um and i wonder if if This is just because people think that mailers are less effective or maybe there's been people are doing work and studying and seeing that mailers are less effective. Um, I mean, not that I'm not getting mailers, but much less than would be spent in prior campaign years on on mail pieces. Uh, Postage is way down. uh, Print pieces are way down uh, compared to prior years. Um, And that's I expect that in New York, like U.S. Senate campaigns governor campaigns big statewide campaigns where you know mail pieces are just so prohibitively expensive and maybe not be as effective in local races where you can target yeah it's surprising to see so much less on assembly pieces and state senate pieces and county clerk rate pieces um than you would expect in the past
2: yeah the most expensive mailer i've i've received at my house i live i would have been uh in buffalo in the city it, it was a gigantic piece from tim kennedy but it wasn't for him it was for kathy Hochul. Mm-hmm. you know it came from his campaign committee but uh, but otherwise not a lot of mailers
3: yeah no, i mean the the amount of mail, you know you would expect like a week out um that you would just have just just a ton a ton of mailers you know and i i check in with my parents um because you know they are like the prime of prime voters and my mother is you know registered unaffiliated so oh. she never misses a race <laughs> or never misses an election in you know, in her entire life and she is the mystery that
2: the, everyone is trying to crack
3: <laughs> right and she's unaffiliated so like she just usually gets everything from both sides yeah um and not much very you know very little generally so um i think that's i think that's pretty interesting didn't look at uh the governor's race partly because I ran out of time because the website wasn't working well before we did this <laughs> um, but I do want to look at after the after the election because my gut feeling is is that whether she wins or loses Hokel's gonna leave a lot of money in her account and if that's the case she better goddamn win because Zeldin's gonna leave like he's gonna have like a negative balance yeah. on election day. Um, and he'll have to raise money after election day to, to pay off his debts, or maybe he'll do the mayor thing and just don't and as
2: about- uh, you you saw it in the twenty four hour notice, is a great deal of money pouring in last minute, yeah. all of which is just being churned out. Like a, that's not you mm-hmm. know, that's not a little something extra for you to walk away with, Lee. Right. That's like you're spending that money right now. Right. So he, yeah, he's 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 going to also empty out his account. I I agree that she probably is going to have a hefty chunk of change left over. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. I want I want to go back to the clerks race, guys, real yeah. quick, and just um, I, you know, we've we've talked this one to death. Obviously, we had uh, Melissa Hartman on the show last week. Uh, to listen to that interview if you haven't after you listen to this. But I I, I do think that of all the races as of late, that Jeremy Zellner, you know, we we've talked about the sheriff's race uh, being something that I think was in the Democrats' grasp last year that they failed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, convert on, uh, but this one seems like this is the one they've identified as we need to win. and Jeremy Zellner in particular, even though he just got reelected to be the head of the ECDC, um, this really feels like a lot is riding on him having to win this. and and conversely, Michael Crocker, the new chair of the uh, you know the county Republicans, while nobody is expecting him to win this race coming in after a month or whatever, What a uh, what a jewel for him to win this race against Elner, like his first really competitive, uh, you know, election as the the chair. And he gets this one in on on Jeremy. Well, I I think I think part of this is this race with
3: the incumbent, with Kearns. It's both personal and strategic. Uh, It's personal that, you know, he's basically thumbed his nose at Democratic leadership for like the last I don't know how long Forever. has he been alive? Right, You're I mean, right. Um, and still wins on their line, um, regardless. Uh, and you know, openly re- does all of his fundraising with Republicans, but refuses to switch affiliation. Uh, so I think it's a little personal there, but also strategic in that next year's a county executive race. Uh, if Kerns w- walks through and cruises to an easy clerk's election, he might not put down his political machine and just immediately start running for county executive. Uh and that would be a nightmare. Yeah. Because you know, not only like now you'd have Mickey in in a, a bigger position, but there's all your patronage spots. Um so uh I mean th- that's why like they're they're really trying to like, you know, step on Mickey's neck this year and get rid of him is that way you know the Republicans might support him if he wins. Even, even again, still not make him switch affiliation for county executive if he's a winner. If he loses to previously relatively unknown Melissa Hartman, you know, not I'm not saying that being supervisor of Eden is nothing, but it's not a high profile position in Erie County. Um, he loses that race. He has zero percent chance that Mike Crocker and the Republicans are going to give him the Republican endorsement next year. You know, and that's where, like we talked about last week, you know, I think the odds on favorite is probably Chris Jacobs. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's my, might be who Chris, Mike Crocker and ECRC want, but a Chris Jacobs for county executive is almost certainly going to get primaried by somebody on the far right, um, if nothing else, because of his comments right before he left Congress.
2: Yeah, most likely. Most likely. And, and yeah, and and there's no... Certainty that Chris Jacobs is going to say yes. Mm-hmm. You know, he might. I mean, he doesn't need to. He doesn't need to. I will say all of these Republican
3: candidates that we talked about, with the exception of, of uh, Mickey, he Chris Jacobs wrote personal checks to. Right. He gave you know five hundred or like he gave at like a thousand dollars, and he gave you know like Sandy Magnano like five hundred dollars something like that. So like you know he's out there writing checks to Republican candidates.
1: So he it's he doesn't want to be forgotten. No, no. And uh, again, just to me, it's like for Zellner, this is. And you laid it out with the reasons why, Jim, but it's a must win. And I think that if the Democrats, God forbid, do not win that race, I know they just reelected him to be the chair, but my God, maybe it's time to reevaluate the leadership.
3: I mean, you say he's not going to resign. Well, no, if if he loses, I mean, he's going to run out, he's going to work his chairmanship. He's going to sit this full term. Um, They're not going to make him resign from the board of elections as, as commissioner. Um, you know, and they're going to say like, okay, like maybe they, maybe there will be more pressure on them from like the polling cars camp to provide some wins, but if they're going to be like, okay, well it better be next year when I'm running for re-election and, you know, make sure we don't lose the, uh, County ledge or maybe even increase the County ledge. You know, if, uh, we didn't talk about the Supreme court, but if Lurigo wins a Supreme court seat, um, then that opens up a vacancy in the County ledge. Um, Lurigo, they've tried, looks like he's pretty much impossible for a Democrat to unseat, but it would be one of the more swing districts that has a Republican advantage. But one of the districts that maybe a a strong Democrat could uh, target in the uh, ledge, obviously, the the Gilmore district uh, was insanely close last year there's no reason to think that he's going to suddenly get 60% of the vote this year. Like it's going to be another very hard fought race there for, for the ledge. Um, you know, he, he'll, he'll need to prove that he can maintain the ledge and, you know, and the County Executive's office. I mean, yeah. he did, you know, you know, while losing the shift, you know, we do have a democratic controller. It is somebody who, who swapped parties, but yeah. you know, um, he did, it did win the controllers race uh, and, you know, wrestle that away. I mean, because if not, you, Lynn Dixon with a bunch of Stefan Mahilu staff members
1: uh, would have been a continued nightmare for the County Executive's office. Yeah, the the other thing about this race, and I'll be curious to see the the post race filings or what have you, is uh, if Doug Jamal personally gave money, because I, I don't know, I don't know if it's just the algorithms are are geared at me here, guys. But my God, I've been seeing Doug Jamal's face all over mickey kerns's ads whether it's on the internet or i think i saw something on tv um that's the wild card i mean that's the x factor here well jim and i
0: race. were talking about this yesterday because there's new ownership for a uh, Tapple pool club or whatever it's called mm-hmm. and you said you, you had some inside an inside scoop on who the new owners were right Oh, did,
3: I forgot what I said.
0: <laughs> Hold on, let's start this over. I'll Edit this out. You made the. I, I wrote it down because it was a good joke. Oh. You heard Tapo Day Club had new ownership. Yeah, it's Doug Jamal and Kanye West. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start over. All right. Yeah. All right. So it's better if you keep all the yeah. same. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, uh, all right. I hear there's
1: new ownership at Tapo Day At <laughs> the Tappo Pool Club.
0: Hey Jim. hey, Jim. Hey, Jim. Yeah. I hear there's new ownership at Tapo Day Club. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you have the inside scoop, don't yeah, you? Yeah, it's uh, uh, 50-50, uh, Doug
1: Jamal, and yay. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we have on that Ooh. one. Yeah. Well, no. Uh, <laughs> new Tapo Pool Club owner, Doug Jamal, has, has been... He's out there showing off his Josh Allen tattoo. Yes, yes,
3: but it's a full back
1: tattoo. <laughs> right, yeah, mm-hmm. four, Mickey Currys. I mean, Cannonball. He's, he's definitely trying to put his thumb on the scale here, Jeff. Have you noticed this?
2: Uh, I have, it is the algorithm has not targeted me. i I'm, I'm sorry to say so, but I. But I believe that it is targeting you. Yeah. And I believe that it knows something about you.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> knows too much. Yep. <laughs> it knows too much. So we'll see. We'll see if that money, that influx of actual cash from Doug Jamal, or just he's willing to plaster his face all over mm-hmm. Mickey's campaign materials, um, how that helps if it does anything. But just a tidbit. Just a tidbit. Well, I think that's all on the campaign finance stuff, guys. I do just in a completely different thing here. right? I do... Uh, want to shout out the folks at Torn Space Theater. Um, I attended their production last night, uh, Boulevard. It was held at the, uh, the the Miskovich Library over on Fillmore. It's running through November, and I think they'll have December productions of it as well. If you are a fan of uh, avant-garde theater and you know things that kind of stretch your mind out a little bit, make you uh, stroke your chin and really hey, think. You're a
0: big fan of them. I know you go to other stuff.
1: Yeah. You know, so I talked about them before I had first attended um, their summer production, the history of play. I think it was called a couple of years ago. It was very, again, avant garde. You had people dressed up as like elves and wood nymphs and they were their interactive play exhibits. And then last year it was just a really appealing to the DPA demographic. Though, yes, exactly. Yeah, that that's their prime base of people. Uh, then this summer they had a production called ages, which was again, down by, uh, the grain silos, um, over there, but it was a much more muted production. Um, this Boulevard production was uh, astounding. I, I, it's, it's basically a mixed media. So there's a half of it is a a play performance in front of you. So you're sitting, you know, watching a play and then midway through, then you put on a VR headset and you're presented with a series of images and you're in the metaverse you're in the metaverse so yeah (laughs) so so half the crowd half the crowd at first sees the play um being enacted in front of them and then the other half has the headset on kind of in the metaverse almost and then they flip it and so you get to experience both
0: you ever see that community episode where they where they have that the vr uh, the dean spends this enormous amount of money on this 20 year old vr system no oh, it's ridiculous check <laughs> it out that sounds yeah. like
3: if you put mickey kearns in charge of a community college
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you've been a major patron of the arts right you yeah. went to soccer mommy at town ballroom we went we, to we, we all went yeah. we all checked that out that was a good show that was an incredible show yeah so uh, is, I, we should have talked about that on concert watch i think i blew it that's right but
1: well that's anyway hilarious. people knew about it i mean yeah. it was that was a packed house at town it
0: was Ballroom. A, it wasn't packed house it was a good 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 show mm.
1: Yeah, a friend of the show, uh, the tall guy, was there. We were right. hanging out with him, mm-hmm. yep. and uh, it was a good time. So, yep. yeah, I say all this to say there is a lot of exciting art, things going on around in the area. Despite what Von Miller says. Despite what Von Miller says. <laughs> what
3: did he say? I missed this. Uh, he, he
1: did, like, there's a, like, a YouTube video
3: of him saying how there's nothing to do in Buffalo and all the foods. Uh-huh. He didn't say the food's bad. It's just that it's
1: impossible to get anything healthy, and he's 100% correct. That yeah. is correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yes. But... Um, no, there's there's plenty to do around here, and plenty of things. Maybe that are- not for Von
0: Miller. I mean, he's maybe he's looking for something a little more thrilling, right? Well, if I, you get a the adre- If you if you got the adre- adrenaline rush of uh, of being an NFL football player, you probably want something a little well, better. Than- I, I think
3: the other thing that I think is a fair point. Actually, now that we're going to get off on this tangent, is yeah. that if you are a multimillionaire like professional athlete like him, who's going to be well identified when he goes right, into public, right. like you want stuff that caters to. That where you, you'll be separated from the general public, yeah, and that's just not going to happen in a market like Buffalo. Far cry from L.A., right? Yeah, he probably thinks that actually when he was in Denver, that was there's nothing to do there compared yeah. to when he was in Los Angeles, right? Yeah. So, like, if he thinks that there's nothing or very little to do in Denver, then obviously he's going to think there's nothing to
1: do in Buffalo. He's more of a snail mail fan than a soccer mommy fan, uh, right? Just, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. But uh, no, there's a lot of a lot of great arts, a lot of great productions happening in here in the area. Um, we often lament that Buffalo is, you know, a step or two behind your New York cities and your Austin, Texas and Portland, Oregon. And sure, fine. But I'm here to tell you that we're not that far off in terms of arts. Like we, we do get incredible musicians here. We do have um, extremely sophisticated and thought-provoking art performances here. So I, I feel please like, support them.
0: I feel like due to this information superhighway and the exchange of ideas, we've caught up. 20 years ago, you could say, oh, we're behind on fashion and the arts and all that. But, you know, I think we've caught up a little right. bit. Maybe not in terms of uh, tattoos. Tattoos, but
1: you yeah, right. <laughs> are a little behind the time on tattoos and jumping or progressive tubes. thinking. But, you know. Yeah. No. So please support support the arts. Spend your money. Um you know, go out and see these productions. Definitely go. If you have the, uh, they're, they're only uh, having 20 people to a production with the Torn Space production. Gosh. But I, I highly, inc- if I, I described it in the Discord as like uh, David Lynch meets Berktold Brecht. Oh, okay. It, it's, it, it is strange with, with virtual oh. reality mixed in. That's it's, high praise. It's, it's strange and interesting. But if that's your bag, go out and see now, did it. They, did they remodel the Mishkevich library?
0: I, I heard they, they were doing some renovations there. Check
1: that out or no? I, 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 Jesus! The toilet, the bathrooms were not remodeled. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Good. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I think you remember it. All right. Well, maybe it's just
0: the bar portion. At the the factory. bar looks nice. Yeah. Okay. All right. But
1: the, the toilet they didn't get around no to that yeah, yet. Yeah, that's, right. that's hard. To, that's, requires, get on that, Greg Olmo. Yeah.
0: Requires plumbing. <laughs>
2: experience. Right, it.
1: Yeah, all
3: right. I think that's I think that's all for this week, right, guys? Yeah. Thanks again, Jeff. My pleasure. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Bye. Thank you.